0: i've always had this philosophy why be fake when you can be real but the only way you can know real is to get in tune with you the highs and lows of your life the ugly parts of your life the dirty grimy things that you're ashamed to share with anybody else that's been true
1: hello and welcome to the authentic wednesday podcast Each week, my guests and I share our vulnerable behind-the-scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations, and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I'm very excited and thankful that you are here listening to the podcast today. I wanted to give you guys a heads up. I am taking a podcast pause. So if you just think about the video where you press play and it's running and you're watching it and you're listening to it and then you press pause because you need to go and do something else and then you're going to come back and press play. Well, I'm doing the pause, the bit where you pause and you go do something else and that something else is taking care of me. And in taking care of me, that ensures that I continue to give you the content on the podcast that you enjoy and speaking to the guests on the podcast that you enjoy. So the podcast pause is not just for me, but it's also for you guys too. The good thing about the pause is if you are new, this gives you a chance to catch up on all the content. And if you've been listening for a while, this gives you a chance to go back and listen to the stuff that maybe you haven't listened to before because you keep hearing the new content. So we all win. We get to catch up, we get to take a break, and you get to come back and be ready for some fresh new content. And I'm excited too, because it just gives me that space to think and be creative and not be stuck in that, oh my gosh, I've got to produce a podcast each week. You know, as this is the Authentic Wednesday and this is about taking off the mask, this is about giving ourselves permission to connect to our authentic selves. And this is me connecting to myself and then connecting with you guys and ensuring that you are getting the best out of the podcast podcast because it is my baby and um, I just was having a conversation with someone today that it's time to put my baby in childcare. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to need some more help. And so I'm going to be working on that on this break as well as getting more guests and doing some more interviews. But I'm definitely going to be letting some of the reins go and getting some support, which I'm excited about because we talk a lot about asking for help and getting support and how that makes us so much better. So let's go ahead and get into the podcast. I have a guest today and her name is Dr. Bessie Stewart-Banks. She's an author, entrepreneur, mentor, and speaker. She is the president and founder of Eastern Banks Learning and Life Center, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit organization. She is the lead mentor of the Sister Linkage Mentoring Program and Conscious of the Heart Publishing, LLC. She is passionate about educating young women of all ages how to pursue their dreams and promotes in her teaching that change is not change until you decide to change. In her pastime, Dr. Stuart Banks enjoys refurbishing old furniture, learning the latest dance moves from her son, and taking family trips. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello, Dr. Bessie, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Good. Thank you for having me.
1: You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on here and just hear your wonderful journey of authenticity and all your highs and lows. I know you have some great things to share with the audience today. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) my First question as I always ask my guests what does authenticity mean for you?
0: Authenticity to me mean means to be your true self no matter where you are no matter what circumstance you're going through just be your your true self I truly believe that I've always had this philosophy why be fake when you can be real but the only way you can know real is to get in tune with you your The highs and lows of your life, the ugly parts of your life, the dirty, grimy things that you're ashamed to share with anybody else, that's been true.
1: Mm. Yes, that highs and lows, the dirt, the
0: grime. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go through that stage of really getting in tune with some mistakes I made, you know, some shames that I've carried around, but I didn't understand until I um I really unpacked my junk, my shame, or what I really thought was shame. You know, if you look into the terms of today's society, some people may say, "Oh, girl, that that was a much that's that's not shame. That's not a lot. There's more people going around with worse things than that." But that's just me. Who, Bessie? Before I put on doctor, that's what I walked around with. And so I'm at a point now, I don't have time to be fake. Not to say that I was ever fake, but I just truly believe that life is too short to live to walk around being fake.
1: Okay. I love that. So you said so much good things. Let me ask you this question. Um, And of course you weren't, it sounds like perhaps maybe you weren't always authentic or perhaps you weren't always authentic with yourself. Is that right? What would you say?
0: Well, I was always at a point in my life that I lived up to the expectations of my family. Whatever, I I was a pleaser. And I say people pleaser because I always wanted to appease my parents. Whatever my parents, especially my mother. My father, pretty much, you know, he left my life when I was 15. When I say love, he he died. Died up, you know, at a Impersonable time in my life when I really needed my father. so I really lived up to his ex- expectations beyond his death, but more so to my mother because she was that person in my life on a day-to- day basis um, that I didn't want to bring shame to our family because I really set high expectations for myself so I tried to follow everything that my family put on me because I am the youngest of eight p- kids. So everybody looked towards me to say, oh, she's the smart little girl. You know, she's very smart. She's going to go and do things in life. So they put pretty much put that pressure on me. And I was I tried my best to live up to what they wanted. But then when I started becoming a teenager and finding out, you know, my true self, especially when I went off to college, then I came back and I was like a a rebel. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, I, you know, they, they tease me now. it was like, you know, you went off the college, you came back, and you were totally different. And I'm like, yeah, I started coming in in my own. Mm. I didn't have to live my life the way you all wanted. It's my life.
1: Mm. Oh, my God. Um, I so relate that. I've said that before in a recent podcast that I feel like the – I talk about the rebel heart and I feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, authenticity, there is that sense of rebelness, not rebelness, you know, in the way as people imagine being rude or disrespectful, but it's like, no, I'm not going to do the status quo. I'm going to be me. And so I think we were talking about often going against the status quo or what's expected of you is Mm -hmm. when people call you a rebel, which is (laughs) It sounds like that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So
0: uh, I just want to add this in when I say a rebel. So my senior year in college, I found out I was with child. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much thought I was sick. I didn't think I was pregnant. You know, I mean, I'm off at college. I'm not, I'm having fun. But that fun (laughs) ended up me getting pregnant from this my son's father who you know I was mad in love with because my mom was like go off to college and find love but he, she didn't break it down why you know don't find this football player and fall in love okay <laughs> which I did but it resulted in me having my oldest son but when I say it goes back to your question when you said um me being a, a rebel my older siblings started saying well you shouldn't have that baby. You shouldn't give birth to that baby. That baby's going to ruin your life. And I'm like, who are you to tell me what my future holds? If God tells me that. And that was one of the things that God told me. And I still remember to this day. It was December the 27th, 1992. And my um, God said, have that baby and I will take care of you and him. This day, this year, my son will be 27 years old. He has a master's degree. He has his own business, and he's working on with me in my nonprofit and building that. So, had I given up on that baby, who's now a grown man, who knows what I would have been giving up. Yeah. So that's why I, I I didn't go. I went against the status quo in my family. Like, you know, you don't do that. But hey, I did it, and I made it.
1: Wow, you did. And now you have a grown son. Wow. Yes. So um, I know one of the things you mentioned, um, and I'm sure this is going to come up, but the shame. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you define shame?
0: Shame, based on my definition, are those things that you do, which, how would I put it? Things you don't want others to know you did. Some things that would be, you know, embarrassing that you would otherwise would not like anyone to know about. Um, Even though I was a rebel when I found out I was pregnant, at a point I did harbor a little shame. Because I had put a standard to myself that I never want to be an unwed mother. I never wanted that. But then my mother sat me down and she said, look, you're an adult. You're over the age of 22. You're getting ready to graduate college. You have a degree under your belt. You have experience. So it's not like you're a teenager coming home and you're still in high school trying to get a high school degree. You're getting a college degree. So I had to take and internalize that to say, hey, unless God come and tell me, Best this is your last day on earth, then keep going to school. So I went and I kept going and graduated with baby in hand so I came out but not only that I came out of college with a job wow so it's like how many people you know have a baby their senior year come straight out and within weeks have a job so going back to that question I for me myself I put shame on myself which I shouldn't have but Because I had a standard I was setting for myself to reach, I felt like I I felt myself because I didn't reach it. I felt my parents because my dad had already instilled me and within me and all my siblings get married, have your children, and go on that route. But I didn't go that route. So, in a sense, that's what I believe shame. You you put sometimes you put shame on yourself when it's not really otherwise shame.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really good. And so you sound like a very determined woman, and I know you're a very <laughs> determined and passionate woman. However, I think you know is determined and passionate, and and I still think that's part of our makeup. We do experience these things that challenge us, and mm-hmm. in different ways. And I know you, in particular, experienced some things that you say quote-unquote, how you almost gave up. Yes. Can you share with us and give us some background and tell us what was going on?
0: Well, there was a lot going on that time. Um, If I push back before the the period in which I almost gave up, Um, my then spouse, we met so quickly. (laughs) And it's funny. I talk about I can talk about it now because it is funny. I met him back in 1997 before I actually relocated back. I mean, not back, but before I relocated to the Atlanta area, I came up here and I was in graduate school. So it was like every time I came to visit my sisters, they told me I always had books with me because I was always studying. So it was like, come and go with us to the club. And I'm like, eh, I got to study. I test when I go back. And I got a paper to write. So it was around my birthday, July 27th. And I said, okay, let's go. So we went. But I was like very, my mind was back at their house about my books. I'm a bookworm. I love books. So I was like, I got to get back and I gotta get this paper. It's written, it's due when I get back in home. And so we were, long story short, this guy came passing by us. And I'm like, in my head, keep moving, keep walking, don't stop. Don't. And I said, Bessie, don't give eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) Because as soon as you give eye contact, he's gonna stop. So I played it off and I was like. My sister and my now brother-in-law is like, please come back and rescue me. And it's like he hounded me throughout that club the entire night. So I picked up on some things I kept from college. I gave a, a pseudo name. I gave a fake name. I didn't want to <laughs> give a real name. <laughs> so my name in college was Khadijah. It's like, do not call me by my name. But when my sister came back, she didn't understand because she didn't, we, we have a, a, a big age uh, gap. So she called me by my legal name. I was like, why? Why did you do that? So they gave him, he gave me my, um, my, I don't know if my, I gave him my number or my sister gave him my number. And it went from there. But when I met his mother and we got to the point of doing a long distance relationship, I met her and she said, "Um, do you really know my son? And I'm like, yes, I do. She said, no, do you really know my son? And in my head, I'm like, why does this lady keep asking me, do I know her son? I'm like, yes, I know your son. I've been dating him for months. I love him. He loves me. And she said, I don't think my, my son is ready for you. And now that I'm older and I'm wiser and that relationship is non-existent anymore, I'm thinking like, wait a minute, did she know something I didn't know or I was too blinded to see? And so that goes up to that that point of having blinders. So years fast forward, now that I look back at that time and era of my life, now I understand why she said, do you know my son? Because he was a womanizer. It's just, I don't know if it was in his DNA or something. He learned from his father, but he just, even though he said he loved me, he married me, we had a child together, he just could not stop cheating on me. So I end up, I was eight months, seven months pregnant, and I left him because we had gotten married and I moved up here, but I couldn't take, I couldn't take the constant uh the constant disrespect of women calling my house and then you know he would tell me in my face well i don't know how they got my number i don't know how why they're calling me and i'm like god dude do you think i'm stupid this is not a lifetime this is real life so i decided to take myself out of that toxic environment because for a good six months during my pregnancy I did nothing but throw up and I was throwing up blood. So I was on the verge of losing that baby. So it was just like a stressful time. But I relocated and went back to my hometown in Florida. And I think I was there for about a year. No, it was almost two years. And he moved down there with us because we was trying to rekindle our relationship. But it didn't last because whoever he was he was fooling with, put a dangling carrot in his face and sold him a dream and he left me and the kids. When he did come back, I found out I was pregnant with our my third child, he and I, second child. Shortly thereafter, gave like I would say a, a facade that he wanted to be with me for the sake of the children, but in actuality, he didn't want to be. So he left again. And he said it was because of employment and that lasted probably three or four months. And then I found out I was high risk because I was up in age and then I end up miscarrying. So he came, he saw about me and that happened in August. And then probably about four months later, he came back and threw it on me. He said, um, I don't want you anymore. I have a girlfriend now. We are serious and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, I've been down here dutifully trying to be your wife, even though we're separated. I still go by that I'm married. I don't tell, you know, I don't, I I live my life as a married woman, but you're out doing whatever you're doing, gallivanting around with these different women or this woman, whoever you're with. And now you want a divorce? So in my head, I had always put in my thought, although I didn't marry my son's father, the oldest one, I said, when I get married, I will never get a divorce because that was something that was been in my family. My mother got married. She got a divorce. My father got married. He got a divorce. And I want your listeners to understand, I want my goal in life was to break a curse. The curse, one of marriage being broken. And then two, having kids out of wedlock. Those are the two things I truly believe that really breaks down our families. So I was, especially mine, I was on a path of saying that's not going to happen to me. But then again, it happened to me. So it started coming to that point of one, the shame started coming up. It's like, what did I do to cause this to happen?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not to say him, but me, what did Bessie do? Did I say something? Did I do something?
1: So you were taking on the blame.
0: Right. And Because we we did get in heated arguments. And I used to say, I want a divorce. I want to leave you. And he would tell me gladly, we'll leave. Go. So when it got to that point, it happened. Then he said, didn't you tell me years ago when we would fight you wanted a divorce? Now you got it. Give it to me. So for a long time, I... I I came up here because I had, as I stated, I had relocated because of the stress that was in our marriage, but time had passed. And he said he wanted a divorce, but then it got to me. As I said, I internalized the guilt because I felt it was my fault. Why our marriage was at a blink at the brink of dissolving itself. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back up there. I'm going to go for Christmas and God is going to work it out that our marriage is going to work. Something miraculous is going to happen when I get there. No. And now that I am I see what I see, that God had, that, that better plan was for that divorce. But at that time, I didn't see it. I wanted my marriage. I wanted my son to see his mother and his father together. Because my even my oldest son looked up to this man. He knew that he had two daddies. He had his birth daddy, and he had the daddy I married. So I didn't, I didn't want to bring that all on them. But then I got up here, and then he started flashing stuff in my face, bringing his girlfriend in my face, the the house we had together, showing me that he had her living with him. And it's a lot that just started coming up that I I didn't realize what was going on. This person. That I even took her children to school thinking it was just a co-worker Come to find out she was the one he loved me for. So I started saying, what was about me that he didn't love? And it was just a lot. And I think that's what a lot of women go through. It's like, what's what's bad about me that you leave me to go to that? So it got to the point that those voices, and I say voices because it was a spirit wanting to take me out. And I, I went to my sister's room, bathroom, because we were staying with her for the Christmas break. And it just came up and said, take your life. And it was a rage going on. And I, and I said it in um, the uh, inspiration I did. And I said it was like two forces, good and evil, fighting to take me. Good saying, no, life is better beyond this. Bad saying, no, take your life. And I, I cried, and I, I screamed. I even went in the bathroom, took a shower, and I just started crying out to God. And excuse me if I start
1: crying. you okay. Take your time. There's no rush. It is okay to cry.
0: I started crying. I said, God, I know my life is it's not supposed to be like this. I know you have greater for me. But I did not know it at the time that that greater was for me. To let this man go, because I always and I started thinking about if it's meant to be, if it's meant for him to be with me and me to be with him, then everything will work its way out. But I did not realize even when I made that statement and I came to my senses, God said, I want you to love me. And that's the that's the biggest mistake I made in that marriage and that relationship and I say that that's the biggest step or biggest thing that all women I'm gonna say all but women who lose themselves in situations and relationships where they they put it all and all into this man to realize you're giving all that you have to the wrong man and that's when God started teaching me I am a consuming fire. You put nothing and no one before me. So God started literally. Even though I, I I left Georgia and I drove back to Florida, and I said I'm gonna fight for my marriage. I'm gonna fight for it. So you still that, didn't give up. I still didn't give up. And, and that, <laughs> happened, <laughs> that happened. That happened in December of 2002. But I didn't get the uh-huh effect until a month later and then I stood before myself in a mirror but it really wasn't myself I was stood before God and I said God if I offended you in any manner if I had done anything that would hurt you that would bring shame to you that would disappoint you show me show me Every ugly part of me that would cause you to spew me out of your mouth. And boy, that was a big pill to stay because when I said that, he started showing me. And that's that part when I say a consuming fire. He said, You put him as he was your God. He's flawed. And so I I started really realizing, hey, okay, although I wanna I wanna be with him, I need to work on me. So when I started growing and realizing what I, cause I could say this now, not to say I was at fault, but this, my mouth, that tongue. It's the smallest thing on our body, but it is a powerful thing. I was a spitfire. I said some things that I, I think, I, you know, I don't even think, I know now that I'm wiser, and I'm older, I said some things and I demasculized him with my mouth. He didn't want somebody talking. You know, I, I would say some things. I'm like, I don't need you. I can always, and that that was what I said. I felt like I was at fault. Why our marriage dissolve.
1: Mm, Wow. Thank you for saying that. And I mean, you said so many good things, but just that small part that you how powerful the mouth is, because I always talk about that, but that you actually, you know, with your mouth, demasculized him. And often some women don't realize that, Men do have feelings. Yes. And that we do have the power to hurt them because unfortunately the world doesn't always feel like men should or, you know, it's okay for this sh- to show their, their emotional side. And so women can tend to use that mouth. Yes. And demasculize men. Um, so thank you for, you know, really being honest about that to say that. Not to say that, you know, it was all your fault, but. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I did have a part, I had a part into it. And I own that part. So some years later, it took me with growth and all the layers of my dysfunction being stripped off me and me realizing my issues. I started realizing, hey, when I, you know, as time grew by, because it went a whole year, I did not see him or hear from him. Neither myself or my kids heard from him. But when I find, I say, God, if you give me the opportunity to see this man again, wherever he's in this vast universe, I'm going to apologize to him for what I did. And I, I said, and I said, and I realized I may never get an apology from him. And two days later, after I made that statement to God, I got a call and it shocked me. And he said, I, I want to come and visit you and the kids. And I'm in my head now. That's this thought becoming flesh. What do you think he's <laughs> got? He's not <sitting laughs> with me. But I let him come. And I said, you know what? We had a conversation. I said, I apologize for every word I've spoken that hurt your feelings. The words I knew that hurt your feelings and the words and expressions I did not know I was hurting your feelings. And it threw him for a loop. Because he was looking at me like, I'm the one that hurt you. But I said, I, I didn't. I looked beyond that. And I say, you know what? I realize now, which I should have knew then, we were really two broken birds trying to make a, a life together. We were broken on a lot of things. And I and then I was broken because I was looking at him to be something he was not capable of being. I was looking for those qualities my dad had, and that I knew he was my dad was a provider, he was protector, he loved all his kids, he especially his girls. And I was looking for that love that my dad once gave me when he was here.
1: Right, and that he couldn't give you. And so that's right. where, of course, the frustration comes in and, and the need and the connection and still wanting to stay. And, you know, hopefully, you know, at one point kind of get that. So I know, of course, we talked about you being in the shower and going back to it towards the good and the evil. What was it that made you choose life?
0: Well, I had a cousin that was visiting with us and I think she heard me screaming and I was just screaming and saying, God, God, help me. If you don't help me, I'm going to take my life. And I had literally gotten out the shower, uh, went through my sister's um, medicine cabinet, found some pills. I don't even know what those pills were. And I just took them out and put them all in my hand. And then my cousin heard me scream and she came and banged on the door. And she said, open the door now. And as I opened up the door, she saw the pills in my hand and then she smacked them. And then that's when we she really grabbed me and started praying. And, you know, some other family members, because it was a big celebration of Christmas up here. They heard it and they ran up. And it was just that one cousin and one of my sisters. And, you know, literally it's like day and night, I snapped out of it. Mm. But from that point in time on, I had to really unpack why I felt the way I felt. So I ended up going to counseling before I separated from him. I, I saw signs that. Things were not going well, so I went to counseling. Then I, you know, back then when you had the yellow pages, <laughs> 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 I went through the yellow pages and I found, um, uh, I think it was a, she was a marriage counselor slash family counselor, and I went in and did. You know, I, I hadn't found a job over here yet, but I, I was like, okay, I my everything I had was dependent upon him. He was bringing all the money in. So I was looking for a job. Even I had a master's degree, but it was still hard for me to find a job. So I went and they, the, the counselor, she said, I can put you on a sliding scale. And I told her what I was feeling, why I was feeling and why I was feeling. And she said, okay, I'm gonna start working with you. And so she worked with me for probably about, I got think about six to 12 weeks. And she said, well, why don't we bring your husband in? And we went. And the first question, I still remember it to this day. She asked him, she said, why are you here in counseling with your wife, Best?" And he said, well, because she wanted me to come. So the counselor was like, so it's my impression that you really don't want to be here. You're just coming because she wants to come. And my head, I'm like, why did you come if you don't want to do any work. So from that point on, she asked him to excuse himself for a moment to talk to me. And she said, you know what, we're going to continue to work with you. So I took a lot of the things she gave me. She gave me pamphlets, even after our sessions ended, because shortly thereafter, I moved back to Florida. But I still kept resonating in my mind everything she told me. And then that's when I really got into journaling my thoughts and feelings down. And I went back to some information she gave me and shared with me and continued. I'm not going to say self um, counseling, but that was the starting point of my journey of letting people know it's okay to go to counseling. Counseling does not mean you're crazy. It means they can give you another perspective that you never thought of give you opportunity to open yourself and express yourself, give you some insights. And I'm not going to say the do's and don'ts, but it really gets you in tune. of Okay. Why I'm feeling this way. So it's like now, and I know I'm jumping before. Are you fine? You're fine. The cart before the horse, but in all the three books I've written so far, each one of them, I, I talk about counseling, counseling, the black community. 'Cause we shy away from it, saying, Oh, if you go to counseling, you're crazy. But I I, I go way back when I worked with kids and juvenile justice. A lot of those kids, I was counseling them and didn't even realize it. So I had to take and say, Hey, you can counsel yourself too. Take those points you learn. And I really I wish I could remember that lady's name, but she was a godsend. Cause I don't even think out of all those weeks of Going to her, she charged me probably $5. What? Wow. <laughs> but I, I really, I said that had to be God because I'm like, I know counseling is expensive. But for you to say, I'm going to gift you and all you have, to just give me $5, I was like, I just cried and booed. I'm like, you just forgot that. But then after that, I started reading books. A lot of things. Mm.
1: What was what was that like? You know, we talked about you, you well, you mentioned, you know, you were giving yourself to this man and wanting this man to do, do these things for you instead of, you know, kind of giving yourself to God and also discovering I feel like sometimes there is this and, and I and I talk about this for myself, my own experience. And also a a lot of women that I talk to, whether it's in therapy, whether it's just in general, but I know from my experience, um, almost, uh, not almost, giving away my power to a man, um, you know, or someone that could be, you know, anyone romantically, but especially to men and questioning myself or, or. Dumbing myself down, even idolizing. I realized oh, I would idolize mm-hmm. men and put them a bit up and feel like they had. And it's, it's not to say that, you know, I, I still respect any human being. And when I say idolize, I mean to put someone above me. Um, right. Um, there's there's a difference you know I still treat everybody like a human being but no human is above another human being and so when we idolize we subconsciously put them I know for me put them in that space of God but even idolizing them and um, in me working through that I have found and become more comfortable how amazing I am how powerful I am and I'm not willing to give that away or dumb or shall i say and i'm not willing to dumb that down for anybody exactly can you relate to that yes was
0: that, was that your experience i when you were saying that it's one part because wow this is just so recent all the way up until let me see we finally dissolved our marriage in october the 3rd of 2006
1: okay how long were you guys married for?
0: Legally, we were married for eight years. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really stay together for, give or take, two years.
1: Okay. So
0: okay. we were more separated than we were married. Mm. Now I've known him now 21 years. But it took up into two. We got that divorce in October of that year. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was more like a manipulative part on his from him he knew I still loved him I just got to the point of I got tired of fighting so I didn't I I ended up when we went to court I represented myself he got an attorney and I'm like Nah, I didn't I studied law but my law was my background was more in law uh you know criminal justice that's where I started from but I read up enough, you know, I I went and educated myself on Georgia law. And I just say, you know what, whatever he wants, he can have it. But one thing he's not gonna take, and that's providing support for our son. So I put those stipulations, what I was gonna accept and what I was not gonna accept. And then his attorney came in agreement with me. But shortly thereafter, he would come and visit my house, pick up our son for his visitation rights. But at, he would act as if it was nothing wrong. You know, he was like, not to be too explicit, it's like, give me a kiss. He wanted to be like we were actually a couple. And I'm in my head, I'm like, is he crazy? Or he's playing games. It's like he was literally playing emotional games with me. Because he knew I loved, I still loved him, even though I had given him the divorce. But he was trying his best to manipulate that. And it continued on for almost three years. And I got to the point, I said, you know what? And it, 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 and I say that because we got divorced October 2006. He got remarried February 0, 0, uh, seven. But even after being married again, and we had been separated for so long, he still came to my house to act like I was his wife. And that's how I call it. Uh, and I'm not going to even say it, but it was crazy. Because it got to a point he said, you know what? How about we do a situation with sister wives? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I say, no, I know you're crazy. He wanted to be, remarry me, still be married to this other person. And we go on like it was normal. And I'm in my head, I'm like, that's it's something not right about that.
1: So how did you deal with that within yourself?
0: I had to go back and revisit those counseling points. I had to go back and say, you know what, you are you are better than this, you're more worthy than this. There is someone God has for you. And you cannot allow this man to no longer manipulate you because that's what he's doing. He's manipulating the point that he knows you love him, but he, he really doesn't love you. So I to get to more in depth as I started learning me more to realize. And, it, and then God took me to the scripture of Psalms 139 and 14, that you are wonderfully and marvelously made in God's image. It's somebody I have for you. But until I get you to where you need to be that somebody is never going to come. So I started getting more and more working on me.
1: So what's it like to be you now?
0: I love being me. <laughs> I, you know, I have people, sometimes my sisters them say, you know what, sometimes you seem like you're arrogant. I'm like, no, I'm not arrogant. I'm not full of myself, but I can tell myself I love me and how cute and gorgeous I am. I don't need a man to come and do that. And, and I say that because I just had an experience yesterday. And I as I told you, I went to possibly on a jury. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was doing the jury, he was like flirting with me. And one of the jurors I met, she said, um, oh, Bessie, I think he's flirting with you. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have time for that. And and I, and I had when I got in the car and I said, you know what? Don't be so hard on others. Don't put blame on that man for what the last man did. Cause that could be who God sent you, but you still holding. And I say, okay, God, I know that's the area you're working and making sure I'm right. I'm ready. So if I say I forgive, I must forgive. But in a sense, I still got to say, Bessie, you look cute. Bessie, you look fly in that outfit. And so now I get to the point I say, well, if I look gorgeous dressed up or I look bummy, I still look cute.
1: So it's doing the both, right? So it's just like, yeah, I'm confident. And I think that word is confident. Um, I think with the arrogance, when the arrogance comes in, we tend to put other people down. And I think that's where the arrogance comes in. But people are not always used to people, well, especially women being confident. And so sometimes it gets labeled as arrogant. And so I love the fact that, you know, you are confident, you do know who you are. And then there's this other, there's other part that's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm confident. I am great. And then there's other parts, areas I'm still growing. I think often some people feel like, oh, if you're confident or you're authentic, that your life is like perfect or you've got it all together and it's not. It's like a constant process and we can draw, enjoy and experience all those parts of us, even though we still have stuff that we need to work on. Um, And I love that you shared that. I know you talked about the book and the books you wrote. So it sounds like that experience of you almost giving up has propelled you to write book. And how are you now showing up in the world for yourself and then for other people?
0: Well, I take all the lessons I've learned because that's how that first book came about. I was sitting contemplating going to pursue my doctoral degree, which is that was that was always a passion I had. And I started journaling, as I stated earlier in the conversation, back in 2002 after I, I had I miscarried and lost my third baby. And that was a way to express my feelings and how I felt. And right at that moment, God said, told me the title, in finding him, I found me. And most people thought when I, that title meant in reference my ex-husband, but it, was, it wasn't. It was referencing finding God. Not that he was lost, but I had put him to the side so often that I couldn't find him. But once I started finding him, I started finding who he called and created me to be versus what the world said I was or even what the definition I put on myself. So even all of that, so it's like now I'm open to share parts of me because I before that, I was a very private person. Until I wrote that book, I wrote it, you know, I released it and I did a a book tour. And a lot of people that knew of me because of my siblings or my mother or my father would read it and they would either email me or send messages via uh, Facebook and said, like now, when I said I I contemplated suicide, nobody in my family ever knew that till they read that book because I didn't share it. And they say, you know what? I never even my mom, she still goes back to this day. She said, I never knew you went through that. During that time, she was like, where was I I said, Mom, you were there. But there was nothing you could do. And I said, I know you're my mother. You birthed me. You want to still be that protector to caress me, hold me and say everything is going to be all right. But I had to go through that. Had I not gone through that, then I'm wouldn't be able to share with others that, hey, you don't have to give a permanent decision in a temporary situation. I look at it, me giving myself to in, you know, each book, because even in my novel, I relate some, if I'm, you know, some of myself in my character, Jasmine. I even I literally put the letter I wrote to my, you know, my ex in the book. And that's why I said, girlfriend, I forgive you. And most people, when they read that title, they saying, well, what girl meaning the girl's friend offended her? But no, girlfriend, I forgive you. It's me standing in the mirror saying, girlfriend,
1: I mm. forgive you. I love that. I love that. Man, you said so many good things and I can't even continue because it's just so good. But <laughs> we got to end. What do you want our listeners to take away? What, you, what would you like to share with them?
0: Hmm. Just be open to find out who you were called and truly created to be that you don't have to live yourself. uh, Well, put yourself in this standard where you have to appease everybody, find out who you were truly created and called to be. There's one thing I want your listeners to realize. And this is what I said in my first book "In finding him. I found me. The greatest thing that people can be delivered from is being people pleasers. When you stop being a people pleaser and start understanding and that goes into saying being your true authentic self, that's how you start getting rid of that.
1: Man, you uh, yes, I so agree. I always talk to help people. Oh my god, I agree with that so much. It's like um. You know, for me, becoming a Christian was, that was the most important thing, getting a relationship with God, then my identity, and then being delivered from people pleasing. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. Thank you so much. So do you have any books? I know we talked about your book, but any other resources or podcasts or videos or movies that you watch, any good resources that you think our listeners may want to hear or that have helped you?
0: Well, let me see. Because right now, I just listen to myself and other people. But um, when I was going through my struggles, my top picks were Joyce Myers, Battlefield of the Mind, T.D. Jakes, Woman Die Loose, Juanita Bynum. I think it was uh, No More Sheets. The, I think those were pretty much my top picks. So those resources, I really... Um, Sometimes I go back now and reread them.
1: Hmm. Yeah, those are good picks. I think I've except for I think I've had I think maybe two of them I've read Mm -hmm. or heard. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for that. So, where can we shower you with love?
0: Well, on Instagram, I'm Bessie S. Banks. That's the personal page, and on Facebook. Um, my personal page is Bessie Stewart. Thanks. That's hyphenated. I'm on Twitter, but not all the time. Those are the two best places you want to reach out to me on social media.
1: Thank you for that. We will put all that information in the show notes for everybody. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you.
0: If I can plug this in, if anyone wants to check out my books, they can reach, uh, go to my website, booksbybessie.org. That's B-E-S-S-I-E, booksbybessie.org. Okay,
1: sure. Yes,
0: please don't forget to share where they can get (laughs) your books from. Thank you
1: so much.
0: Thank you for having me again. welcome.
1: Wow. Wasn't that a great episode? Please don't forget to tag us on Instagram or on Facebook with your takeaways. Just take a picture of the show and then just share what you learned with the world. There's always someone wanting to know, and you never know who needs to hear the stories and the information shared on this podcast. And you can always email me if you have questions or feedback. As a reminder, I am going on a podcast pause. I did not give a date on when I will be back. That is because life happens. I want to say I will be back in a month, which would technically be June the 13th. However, life happens. And so I just want to say to you guys, I will definitely be back on for sure by the beginning of July. And if anything happens that I'm not able, I will let you guys know and I will keep you posted. Whether that's you following me on Instagram or I'll just pop in here on the podcast and just give you a quick update. But thank you so much as always for listening. And remember, go back and listen to the replays that you haven't caught up before. Thank you so much. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday podcast, and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.